I invite you guys to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 through 15. That's going to be our primary scripture passage for today. Um, So a few years ago, uh, as I was finishing up my time in seminary, the very last class that I took, it was a class called Theology and Pop Culture. And I'm sure for some of you, that may sound kind of like a throwaway class, like a, a fun, not-so-serious elective to finish my time up in seminary. And while it was a, a very fun class, it definitely wasn't a throwaway class. Nor did I really think it would be when I registered for it. So the overarching uh, ethos of the class uh, was to see how Christian theology interacts with the things that we see in today's popular culture. And I I think that's worthwhile, right? We believe that the gospel, frankly God himself, has the power to speak into and transform all aspects of life and culture, yes? So, it seems worthwhile to study the inner workings of our culture through a theological lens. And briefly, I just wanted to share an example of one of the lessons from that class. Uh, So our our professor instructed us at some point during a given school week uh, to go to our local mall just for an hour uh, with a pair of headphones and an audio file that he created downloaded onto our phones. And once we entered the mall, for me it was Delamo, of course, Uh, we were to put on those headphones and play the audio file and just walk around the mall casually for an hour. And the audio file was the voice of my professor with some soft music in the background. And by the way, my professor uh, was from New Zealand and had a very thick accent, and so that was very fun for me. Um... And as I walked around Del Amo, every once in a while, my professor would ask a question. I'm not going to do the accent. I can't. It would be bad. Probably offensive in some way. (laughs) Anyways, my professor would ask a question like, can you see outside where you are at right now? And the answer to that is no in most cases, by the way. Malls are intentionally designed so you cannot see outside. Uh, so that your gaze is always fixed on the merchandise around you. Fun fact. Another question was, from where you are standing now, how many advertisements can you see? And the answer to that one is, of course, many. And the overall point of this exercise is that going to the mall, it's almost kind of like a a quasi-religious experience of sorts, or at least that's how it's designed to be. Everything about how the mall is constructed, lighted, what you see, what you do not see, is meant to shape your thinking in some way. At least that's what they're going for. And after a few more questions like the previous one, he asked us to focus in on our particular advertisement of our choosing. Could be anything. I happen to be out right outside of H&M, and so I stopped and looked at the advertisement that they had for winter clothes and a big poster just inside uh, the window. Then my professor asked, what is the advertisement selling? Well, clothes. Clothes, pretty, pretty straightforward. 
Then he said, uh, look a little closer. Take a look at the people in the advertisement. Are they happy? Are they attractive? What do the words on the advertisement say? And the picture was of somebody, you know, an attractive person, and they were doing that smile that you see people do in pictures a lot of days, or a lot of times nowadays where it looks like they've just heard the funniest thing they've ever heard in their life, and you just happen to be snapping a picture right then. Just that over-the-top smiling face. And then I don't really remember exactly what the words on the advertisement said. Something along the lines of, feel good this holiday season. Then my professor spoke again and said, the advertisement, it's, it's selling a product, yes, absolutely. But ultimately, what they are trying to sell you is not a product, but joy. That if you buy this product, you will be happy, more attractive, confident, cool, whatever else. All will be well if you buy this product. Or at least that's what they're trying to get you to think. You see, and um, just stick with me on this for a second. If you dig into the depths of what a lot of things in our culture is trying to do, you're going to find a lot of overlap with what God actually does. Does that make sense? You see, both coming here on a Sunday morning to Nova and going to the mall do have similarities. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, the biggest, or one of the biggest, I should say, it's formation. As we come together in worship on a Sunday morning, we do so to not only offer God the praise that he is due, but it is also to form ourselves to be more like him. As we sing songs of praise to God, we not only praise him, but it reinforces who he is in our own minds. As we read and study scripture, we do so to learn about him and so that we may be more like him. A big part of what we do here on Sunday mornings is to be formed to be more like God, and the mall is trying to form you as well. Like I said, it's a quasi-religious experience, and all of its efforts are to form, actually shape your thinking into being a productive consumer. The common ground is formation, and what we are left to decide for ourselves is who or what are we going to be formed by. And likewise, there are many, many, many things in our culture that attempt to bring you true joy, maybe even earnestly a lot of the time. But of course, true joy can only come from the one who created joy in the first place. That's what we're going to be exploring today. Uh, Merry Christmas, by the way. <laughs> Delayed Merry Christmas. We're only a week away. Hopefully me saying that is filling you with more joy than stress at this point, but I understand if it's a little bit of both. Is there anybody here who's just waiting for me to stop talking so that you can go over to Del Amo and get some shopping done? Anybody? Bummer, I still got like 20, 25 minutes, so strap in. 
Um, so we are in the middle of an Advent sermon series. And the word Advent, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, uh, which essentially translates to coming. And so the Advent season is all about anticipating the coming Christ, the birth of Jesus, of course. And for our Advent series, we are exploring four major themes of Advent, which all correspond, by the way, to a devotional that was written by many of you. And I am being completely genuine when I say it has been incredibly ministering to me to be reading what you guys have written so far and what you guys um, in the daily devotionals that we're going to be reading this upcoming week as well. If you haven't been reading the devotional, start doing it. It's on novachurch.org or the Nova Community Church app. I highly encourage it. So two weeks ago, we talked about hope. Last week, we discussed peace. And like I mentioned already, today, we're going to be talking about joy. Um, So we're going to be looking at Uh, A couple different scripture passages today, all of which are in your sermon notes. Uh, Really, really handy. If you just want to pull those up, they're right there. Uh, NovaChurch.org, Nova Community Church app is where you can find them. But like I already mentioned, uh, the first passage of scripture, the main one we're going to be reading today, it's Luke 2, starting in verse 8, going through verse 15. Uh, Please follow along with me as we read that. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And this is God's word for us today, and it is a classic Christmas text. So real quick, I want to I hone in on verses 10 and 11 there. The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And there's that joy that we're going to be talking about today. Good news that will cause great joy. And what is this good news? Well, verse 11 says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, uh, throughout the course of Israel's history, they were constantly in need of saviors. They needed a savior to free them from slavery in Egypt. They needed a savior each time they were in battle with another nation. They needed a savior after they had been exiled by the Babylonians. And time and time and time and time again, God sent them a savior. Of course, ultimately, he was their savior. But he also used people like Deborah 
Samson, David, and Gideon, and many others to deliver them from the trouble that, quite frankly, they got themselves into. But throughout the prophets, most prominently in the book of Isaiah, there was an ultimate Savior who was prophesied about, a Messiah, the one who would come to free people from bondage once and for all. And at the time that Jesus was born, the people of Israel had and would have been holding on to these prophecies, and they were continually anticipating the Messiah. Now, while most likely they thought it was going to be a political savior who was going to uh, set them free from Roman occupation, the fact that a procession of angels came declaring that the time had come, the Savior is here, would have been the fulfillment of great anticipation. The time has come. The Messiah is here. And what, no, what news could cause more joy than this? And this joy of the coming Messiah, it was not just felt by the shepherds. Let's, let's jump back a chapter in Luke uh, to Luke 1 verses 39 through 45. Uh, that passage says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The coming of Jesus brought and brings joy. Now let's look at one more passage. This one's going to be in Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. I'm going to jump forward a little bit to verse 9 after that. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their country by another route. Jesus brings joy. And this is just a sample of passages like this. Um, it is very much a literary theme throughout the Gospels that the birth of Jesus uh, was most often greeted by with joy. It brought joy at the time he was born, and it continues to be a source of joy for us today. But why? Why exactly? Why exactly 
does the coming of Jesus bring so much joy? You see, I mentioned just a moment ago that the type of Messiah that the people of Israel would have been expecting at the time of Jesus would have been like more politically based. A conquering king of sorts who would lead them out from underneath of Roman oppression, most likely in battle or something like that. But of course, we know, sitting on this side of history, that God had something much more significant in mind. We all make mistakes. Actually, let me add to that. We, all, we do all make mistakes, yes. But we all also have intentionally done things in our lives that have brought harm to other people and ourselves, and most likely we're going to do so again. That's every person throughout human history. You see, when we sin, and by sin I mean straying away from God and his ways, which by definition are good, when we sin, then we naturally bring about harm, disorder, and pain into the world. We're all guilty of something. In fact, we're all guilty of many things. And if you are anything like me, that guilt can feel absolutely soul-crushing at times. There is a spiritual consequence to sin as well. However, instead of dealing with us severely, the way that our inner guilt almost demands that we be dealt with, God instead sent Jesus. You see, uh, I, I think the, the story of Jesus could almost be summed up in this way. In the face of the deep and pervasive evil, hatred, perversion, violence, horror, and blatant disregard of God, God chooses to enter into it and forgive, not destroy. God essentially said and says, wow, that's a lot of really horrific stuff that you guys have done, and you all have caused a lot of hurt. I created my world to be good, but you all have gone and chose your own way, and it's barely recognizable anymore. There's a lot of individual and collective guilt that has been built up. So here's what we're going to do to deal with it. You let me know if this deal sounds good to you. I'm going to take the entirety of that guilt and everything that comes with it. In fact, I'm going to send my son, who is going to take on the very worst consequences of sin, and you can go completely free, forgiven, unburdened. All I ask is that you just trust that who I am and what I did is true. But not only this, 
God also promises that one day all of the evil hurt and pain of the world will ultimately be dealt with once and for all. It will all be gone one day. And it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that brings all of this about. And so during the Christmas season, we celebrate Jesus who brings all of this. Jesus brings joy. And I think a good question to ask ourselves in response to this reality is where does our ultimate sense of joy come from? Do you guys ever feel like there's a deficit of joy in the world today? I certainly do. It certainly seems like people are chasing after joy all the time. It seems like if they're chasing after joy, they probably don't have it a lot of the time. Everybody has the God-given desire to feel joy, right? But we also have the propensity to try and find our ultimate sense of joy in things other than God. And when we do this, we're ultimately going to be left wanting I mentioned earlier that advertisers have keyed in on this reality as well, uh, the, the universal desire to experience joy. And they've identified that oftentimes the best way to sell to us is to play to our innermost desires. That's those things like security, comfort, love, fulfillment, and yes, joy. But maybe uh, we try to find our ultimate sense of joy in other things, like how our favorite teams are performing. Or maybe we try to find our ultimate sense of joy from our work and the good work that we produce. Maybe we try to find our ultimate sense of joy by having as many friends as possible and being with our friends as much as possible. Maybe our ultimate sense of joy is completely determined by our circumstances. As long as everything is in order and as long as everything is going right and according to the plan, then I can be joyful. Now, can we derive feelings of joy from these things? Of course, of course. God gave us the gift of life and the things within it, and we're supposed to find joy in these things for sure. But the problem is that we, we tend to take these good gifts from God and then elevate them to a, the status that God should be occupying in our lives. That's kind of what idolatry is, by the way. And when we elevate things other than God into that space that God should be occupying in our lives, they're always going to let us down because they are imperfect. It's obviously fine that these things bring us joy. In fact, they should. But when we elevate them too much in our lives, then it can become disordered. And we are let down. We've all encountered this before. Like, we've all encountered people who take certain things just a little too seriously, right? Something a little too serious and a little disordered. So I play uh, softball at Wilson Park 
one night a week. It's a city-run rec league, and it's very, very fun. I enjoy it very much. And uh, I really like the team that I play on. It's a bunch of dudes who are very skilled, uh, play hard, and they're trying to win, of course. But in the end, we all know that this is a city league rec softball. Therefore, we don't get too wrapped up in if we win or lose. We all have fun either way, and it's a big reason why I enjoy it so much. But on the flip side, uh, there are certainly other teams in this league where you can tell that they care a lot <laughs> about whether they win or lose. And if they are winning, oh, it's a party. It's a party. They're hooting and hollering every time they get a hit, every time they record an out. The music is blaring like they actually bring, like, uh, a boombox or something like that. It's raucous. Quite frankly, it's joyous. But if they're losing, it's as if the entire world is collapsing around them. The music gets turned down. Like, literally, the they turn the music down. It's funny. They're sulking, constantly blaming each other for each other's mistakes. They start arguing and cursing each other out. Honestly, it gets pretty intense. Um, and the way they can treat each other is rather unfortunate. Wilson Park City League Rec Softball <laughs> has been elevated to too much importance at that point, and their joy is dependent on if they win or lose. But like I said, we all have the propensity to do this with something in our lives, all of us. It's just going to look differently for all of us. Now, softball games, shopping, and friends, it's all one thing, right? But let's be honest, there are some more challenging examples to deal with as well. Things that maybe a lot of us tend to elevate above God in our lives. Tend to elevate above God as a source of joy in our lives. A romantic relationship is not created to fulfill your ultimate sense of joy. Your spouse is not created to fulfill your ultimate sense of joy. Here's a really tough one. Your children are not created to fulfill your ultimate sense of joy. There's a lot of kids looking at their parents right now. <laughs> Should these things provide joy in your life? You betcha. Perhaps more than anything other than God himself. Are we going to feel some levels of distress if something goes wrong with these things in our lives? You betcha. Rightfully so. But nevertheless, we can still idolize these things and elevate them above God in our lives. In Luke 14, 26, Jesus actually says that if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole there. He does not want us to hate our families. But the point he is getting at is 
He is meant to take that place in our lives as the most important thing. Only God. And quite frankly, elevating your spouse or your children above God, that places way too much pressure on them. They're not perfect. You're actually doing them a disservice by elevating them as the ultimate source of joy in your life. Are they incredibly important? Definitely. They're also not God. Where does your ultimate sense of joy come from? So as we go through this Christmas season, as we go out from this place today, am I trying to tell you to find joy in nothing else than God? That we shouldn't find any joy in anything in the world? No. No, no, no. Of course not. Be with your family. Give good gifts. Eat good food. Enjoy watching your teams play. Enjoy being with your friends. I mean, even enjoy shopping. These are all gifts from God, and they should be enjoyed. But maybe we could all take a moment, either today or sometime in the next couple of days, and just sit and evaluate honestly where our ultimate sense of joy is coming from. If it comes from God, it is a joy unlike anything else. It is joy because we are set free from sin. Not only the guilt from the things that we have done, but also the chains that keep us in a cycle of sin. It is joy because no matter what happens in life, no matter our circumstances, we can know that nothing separates us from the love of God. It is joy because despite how messed up the world is and how messed up we are, God continually draws near to us. So much so that he was born a human baby some 2,000 plus years ago. It is joy that will never, ever let us down. Because God is perfect. Amen?